pandemic of corruption, and more Bioshock news. This is the Fedora Chronicles radio show for June 29th, 2020. Jason Cousineau and I, Eric Renderkankbisk, start the show talking about the shocking news surrounding the article, A Gene Editing Experiment on Human Embryos Went Horribly Wrong, that was published on the Futurist website. And we talk about the implied danger of playing with CRISPR on everything from viruses to human beings, or more specifically, human embryos. Then Jason and I talk about the controversial book, Plague of Corruption, Restoring Faith in the Promise of Science, by Dr. Judy Mikovitz and Dr. Kent Heckenlively, specifically about how tainted immunizations with carry-on viruses and animal or human fetus material may be the leading cause of outbreaks of our modern diseases and chronic medical conditions. The Fedora Chronicles is brought to you by our patrons on patreon.com slash Fedora Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to new episodes of the Fedora Chronicles radio show with show notes, a peek behind the scenes, and more. Zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles is where you can purchase t-shirts, coffee mugs, and more with our logo and slogans right on them. 12.5% of every sale goes directly into keeping this podcast and our website on the air. This is the Fedora Chronicles radio show with pop culture and current events through the perspective of classic film snobs and diesel punks, with topics ranging from true crime, government conspiracies and cover-ups, and the paranormal. You can now listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, Player FM, Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify, and on Google Play on Android devices. If your favorite podcast service doesn't have the Fedora Chronicles radio show on it, let us know and we'll fix it right away. Once again, this is Jay Cousineau and I, Eric Render King Fisk. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Did I tell you I'm buying a house? Okay, so for people who don't know, on the day of Carol's surgery, Jay and I were talking about this week's show. And one of the things that Jay had forgot to mention earlier that he was buying a house. So we had actually spent some time while I'm waiting for Carol to recorporate, uh, in, recuperate. We talked about Jay buying a house. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is the second time we're talking about Jay buying a house. So all right. Jay, Sorry. Sorry. Totally forgot. It's all right. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm so excited. Trust me. I've, I've been so busy and so excited about Carol's, um, surgery and just looking forward to when she would actually start to recuperate that sort of everything else is sort of like i mean i so many things i said that i was going to do this week i didn't get to forget i knew to apologize to eric carter landine because we were supposed to do a follow-up on his true crime episode and talk about um his brother's case um and we were going to do it yesterday and actually we're recording on the 25th of june right now and i totally forgot and on, and then on yeah. top of that, I had an interview with um, Ariel Cooksey to just talk about the Fedora Chronicles and doing the podcast. And then she asked the, the, the question, how did you get interested in the paranormal and government conspiracies? And then it turned in <laughs> and then get, and, and then guess what we talked about for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> right. Your dad, yeah. uh, Art Bell, <laughs> the entire time frame of your life from 16 to, well, today. <laughs> yeah. 
when my dad taught Jeez. me a very, very oh, important God. life lesson. It's not illegal, it's not immoral, and it's not against the law if you don't get caught. That's right. <laughs> oh man. So so you bought you Ugh. so you bought this house and you said that it yes. has it has what? It has five bedrooms? Yeah. It's it's doesn't have it's basically um I mean, it's not like it's a mansion or anything. Right. It's got like a kitchen slash dining room slash sitting room upstairs. It's got an office. And then downstairs, it has like just a great room. Yeah. And other than that, it's just bedrooms. There's not even a whole lot in the way of storage space. Right. At the place. But holy shit, does it have a great view. Okay, good. Because <laughs> when you told me about this and you were telling me about how many rooms it has, I was just thinking to myself... Okay, how am I going to be able to fly out there with all the recording equipment that I was going to buy for you as a housewarming gift? And how am I going to set up all the... And which room are you going to pick to be the, your recording studio? Uh, yeah, I've uh, actually, I'm, I'm thinking one of the, the bedrooms I'm going to use as a sort of second office slash yeah. recording studio. Yeah. Because um, there's, there's a room for an office or a room that I'm going to use as an office. See, here in Utah, most houses have what is colloquially known as a missionary room. All right. And it's basically, it's a room right by the front door where you have places to sit and a small table so that when the missionaries come over, you've got a place to sit and talk to them so they don't see the rest of your house. That's a disaster. Oh, okay. It's the one room to keep clean all the damn time because okay. no one else is allowed in it. So that's the room I'm going to use as an office. I think that's odd. There's a room in your house that nobody else can go into until the missionaries show up. Well, right. It's just it's just a weird thing that's kind of grown up. It's not like, you know, the church says you need to have a missionary room in your house. It's it's nothing like official or anything. It's just, you know, some house designer along the way said, hey, how about if we create a room that's like a sitting room? For people to have more formal guests and then what it turned into is here in utah the formal guests you have are basically anyone from the church but it's just referred to as a missionary room yeah and it's what's funny is even the people i met who grew up here in utah who are not members of the church will refer to those rooms as missionary rooms it's pretty freaking hilarious to be honest Okay. But for me, that's going to be my office. That's going to be where I sit and, you know, I do my day job and all of that. And then there's a bedroom kind of next to it that I'm thinking I'm going to use. I'm going to put like a futon in there. Um, they have some really nice futons, not like the cheap shit that we had when we were going to college. Right. But I was going to put like a nice futon in there and stuff so it could be also used as a place for people to crash when they come over to visit. But other than that, I was just going to put recording stuff in there. Yep. You know, it's got a door on it. So put up the soundproofing in there, that kind of thing. That sounds really exciting for you. Dude, I am so psyched. All right. I am amped. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, yeah. that's not what we are going to talk about all day on the show. No. And <laughs> and and I'm just going to toss this out here, and I'm, I, I'm just going to just a little kind of like a little teaser for perhaps a, 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 a future episode or something like that. I have so many things going on in my life right now, and I've been doing more and more oh, yeah. true crime stuff. And I had a conversation with family members who had somebody disappear more than a couple of years ago. 
I'm not. I, I don't want to reveal who these people are. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to talk too much out of turn. And they are so yeah. hesitant to talk to other podcasters because they've been burned once by th these two people who are big names. In, and I use this in quotes and sarcasm. Big names. Um in the true crime podcast community and their entire attitude was well we already did a show on your case we've moved on to something else and maybe you should too that was kind of their oh attitude because they have new information about this this missing person and they wanted to do a, a follow-up on this these ladies podcast and they're like no we're too busy for that right now no, it's move on we've moved on so and maybe you should do the same and it was, and they see. Okay, I I can understand, you know, someone who has a uh, a big show like these people did, right? Where they're going over different crime every single week, saying, "Yeah, we've moved on from that." But when you say to someone who it's a their close family member, brother, sister, cousin, you know, maybe you should move on too. Yep, that's just crossing the line because it's not personal for them, but for the person they're interviewing who reached out and said hey I have an update it is personal for them and that's just a dick thing to do it, it really is and the thing is we're, we're talking about grieving families here exactly and these are th this is not about great spooky fun this isn't about full body chills okay this is about right. real people who have real family members that are missing or killed or we're talking about like real crime here. It's not. Oh, yeah. It's not about somebody else's entertainment. And there's a right. uh, there's there's two types. And, and and it turns out there are two types of people in the community. The first type I don't associate with at all. Those are the people who are in it for the for the the gore factor. They're in for the shock value of it. It's all about. Um. It's it's kind of like the rubbernecking factor. Right. And it's it's all about, like I had said already, it's all about the spooky thrills. It, it, and there's a little voyeurism in other people's misery aspect to this that I don't associate with. And then there are other people right. who do it because they want to see these crimes solved. They want to see some, revo uh, some kind of resolution to these cases. Those are all of right. my friends that I associate with. Um, so... I've, I've been spending so much time researching these other cases, doing my homework before I actually set up an, a time to do the interviews with these family members. I'm working on this one really sort of famous case where there's a lot of things that just don't make a lot of sense. And there's this one thing that happened five years after the disappearance of this one family member. And it was, and I, I kind of like says, why would somebody do something like that? Why would, why would investigator do something like that? And I'll get into that later when I eventually do the show. But it, it's, it's not about, it's not about the voyeurism aspect of it all. It's, it's about helping these people find out who took their loved ones. Um, and there is sort of like, but there is sort of like a vigilante mentality with a lot of us. And I might be one of those people where I want to see justice done for these people. Well, but at, at, at the same time, there's also a certain amount of compassion. Yeah. I think, um, at least in the interviews you've done and some of the other, um, true crime, 
podcasts that I've listened to that are not dealing with something that personally affects the person running the podcast. Some of them have genuine empathy for the victims in some of these cases, you know, and those are the ones that at least I personally like to listen to, you know, and you can tell like if you go, if you start listening to a, a true crime podcast and you're seeing that occasionally they'll do a quick update on a case, chances are they're very compassionate about what they're doing and they're not just the voyeur kind of podcast. It's, it's To them, it's about finding that resolution, getting the story out to help, if they can, help it get resolved for the families that are yeah. affected by it personally. You know, and those are, the, those are the ones that I prefer to listen to anyway. Yeah. Well, speaking about another true crime here, Jay, this is from futurism.com and I sent this to you a couple of days ago. As a matter of fact, hey, they published this on my on the anniversary of my dad's birth here. Um, if they just waited a day, it would have been the anniversary of my dad's death. A gene editing <laughs> experiment on human embryos went horribly wrong. The disastrous results are a warning to set to say stay the living daylights away from embryo editing, an expert says. According to a troubling scoop by 1-0, a team of London-based scientists used the popular gene editing technique CRISPR, that's all caps C-R-I-S-P-E-R, to genetically modify human embryos with deeply alarming results. The embryos, none of which were grown past 14 days of maturation, showed a variety of unintended edits to their genes that research say could lead to birth defects or even cancer later in life. There's no way to sugarcoat this. Fryjor Uoff, professor of molecular and cellular biology of the University of California, Berkeley, who was not involved in the research, told 1-0, this is a restraining order for all geome editors to stay the living daylights away from embryo editing. The team carried out an experiment involving 25 human embryos, seven of which stayed unedited as a control group, as described to a yet-to-be peer-reviewed print paper uploaded to BioReviewX. Rexview, I don't know how, it's, it's R-X-I-V, I don't know how you'd pronounce that. Earlier this month, yeah. the scientists attempt to edit out the POU5F1 gene, a protein involved in the self-renewal of embryonic cell stem cells. And I'll post this for everybody else to read um, at their own leisure. And one of the things that we have talked about on this podcast on previous episodes is there is some evidence some evidence that many bio labs are using CRISPR to play with viruses. One lab in particular, apparently, and this is all rumor and conjecture, according to other news sources, that the Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China, had been doing just that. You have you have a tool, you have all of these virus cultures hanging around. What's the worst that could happen? And we also know for a fact that this past January, one of the doctors who worked at that lab sold animals that had been experimented on just across the street to the Huan wet market. 
Right, because how could that possibly go wrong? Well, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? I mean, yeah. it, you know, what a great way to dispose of the evidence. Sell them on the market. Somebody will buy them, cook them, and eat them. The, it's like the right. tra- it's like the trash taking itself out. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you got a little bit of kickback in terms of money from the trash getting taking itself out. Well, that's that, that's that's the whole part of like selling. You know, that's that's the whole aspect of selling these animals. So he obviously did it for money. Now, I don't know if he just gave them away. I, I, I don't know if that that's if that would be a problem or not. Sarcasm, tongue deep, tongue well embedded in cheek. Um, but there is now overwhelming. I don't I'm not sure if we can call it evidence that laboratories are playing with all kinds of biology just to see how bad bad can get. Now, I don't know. Right. If- and the thing, thing to remember, too, is like this, this is my favorite quote in that article you sent. It says that CRISPR is more of a butcher's knife than molecular scissors that it's often compared to. Unintended genome editing outcomes were present in approximately 22% of the human embryo cells analyzed. That's over a fifth of them. Yeah. That means one out of every five. And how many did they have? They had 25 embryos. Right. So unintended genome editing outcomes were present in, let's see, a fifth of that would be five. It's just over that to figure probably six of them. Six out of 25 had unintended editing outcomes. It's a butcher's knife, not not the molecular scissors. Right. It's not it's not the yeah. actual tool that they thought they would that it would be. It's it's not right. it's not what and there are also there are also newer and newer versions of CRISPR that and we don't even know what version of CRISPR that they were using. So right. but and 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 again it is it's terrifying to think that this is what these people, this is what these people are doing. Um, and it, the thing also that bothers me, and I'm I'm not a geneticist. It's been a long time since high school, but they were trying to edit out a gene that is a protein involved in the self renewal of embryonic stem cells. Why would you try and edit that out? What was what were they? What goal were they trying to achieve? Were they just experimenting to say, well, gee, what happens if we do this? Right, exactly. That's the that's that's the entire gist of it all. That's exactly what they were trying to do. Yeah, it's, like, they, it's like they have no concept of what it is that's going to be the outcome of it. And if you're experimenting on human genes, I mean, how far is, are you going to extend that experiment? Because if you're taking in these embryos that are you going to terminate them before they come to term are you are you not i mean how close to term are you going to let them go how early in the in the in the embryonic development stage are you editing and working with these genes just seems like seems like a lot of fucking frankenstein shit to me is what it seems like and it's terrifying it's it's terrifying to think that this is what these people do on a daily basis this is what they do for a living they play with the genome of of viruses and and embryos and and whatever they can it seems like whatever they can get their hands on that's just freaking horrifying so um you know i think they got excited when we mapped the human genome sure but they don't understand the linkage at all between them and they're I think they're a little overzealous, at least what it seems like anyway. They were a little overzealous in 
you know, to draw out the old saw from uh, from Jurassic Park. They were so excited that they could. They didn't stop to think if they should. Exactly. You know, I might actually I I might actually put that in this episode. I might actually edit that in. I might I might gene splice that sound clip into this episode. (laughs) You'll edit in. uh, What the hell is his name? The actor. Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. Edit in Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. (laughs) Gee, the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. Well, thank you, Dr. Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I had feared. Yeah, I know. They're a lot worse. Now, wait a second. Now, we haven't even seen the part of the Donald, Donald, let him talk. There's no reason. No, no. I want to hear every viewpoint. I really do. Yeah, yeah. don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent? Uh, in what you're doing here, genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. Uh, if I may, um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're, that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you, and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Condors. Condors are on the verge of extinction. If oh, I was to could no. not know, if I was to create a flock of condors on this island, you wouldn't have anything to say. No, hold on. This isn't this is some species that was obliterated by deforestation, or or the building of a dam. Dinosaurs uh, uh, had their shot, and nature selected them for extinction. I simply don't understand this luddite attitude, especially from a scientist. I mean, how can we stand in the light of discovery? Oh, what's so great about discovery? It's a violent, penetrative act that scars what it explores, what you call discovery. I call the rape of the natural world. So um, I was at the hospital Monday and getting mm-hmm. getting all of this work done and um, setting up interviews for future episodes of for the for the podcast and getting in touch with authors who have sent me copies of their books and just want to get them on the show and talk about, um, you know, talk about their books, help them out. And it would, it it also, the conversations would make for great pod. And I was, Mm -hmm. and I, and um, this person who I was talking to, um, we exchanged information. She said that she would love to be able to come on the podcast and uh and talk about what's really going on with covid but she wants to be anonymous and she also has um a a a doctor who also works in virology wants to come on the podcast or he she thinks he'd like to come on the podcast i he's he's looking for a platform to talk on is what she was trying to tell me and and we were like we were talking for about a good hour saying about why we need to take this seriously and why and and one of the things that kind of came out in the conversation is that you have these people who harvested out in the wild out in the middle of 
the jungle somewhere where people have not been for hundreds of years to cultivate viruses that we have never, ever come in contact with, bring them back to the lab and cultivate them and do these gain of function experiments on them. I mean, when I mean gain of function, just a refresher, a gain of function is like, like learning an acquired skill or having a new ability. Like if you learn how to paint, that you're not just learning how to paint. Um, that's a quote, gain of function, as they would call it in the world of virology, as it were. And it was, and they, and she's convinced that it wasn't purposefully released. It was an accident. And we talked about this doctor who was arrested and persecuted and is now spending time in prison for selling animals they experimented on at the wet market across the street from the lab. And she had told me about a seminar or a talk that she went to and talking about how these wet markets are the perfect breeding ground for growth and mutations because you have all of these cross contaminations. You have all of these animals alive and dead stacked up on top of each other. And there's, there, there's no sanitation procedures at all. It's, and, it's, and it's far worse than you think it is. And if you think that we don't have problems like that here in the Western world, especially in the United States, go to a fish market here in the United States. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of precautions, but they still also cut corners. And the biggest problem is all of these labs that also cut corners. Um, and this, this was an inevitable. She has a ton of other things to say. And as I was, as I was packing Carol up and getting ready to go, and I just wanted to, um, you know, I looked for her because uh, you know, she was another part of, of the, the floor that Carol had been staying for the day. And I went up and, and I, I just want to thank you for everything that you did. And I look forward to talking to you on our podcast. And she said, you've got to look up this book. It's called Plague of Corruption by Dr. Judy Mikovitz and Kent Heckenlively. You have to look up this book and get back to me. So while I was waiting for the nurse to bring Carol down the elevator and then through the, through the, through the exit so I can put her in, in the car and drive her home, I downloaded this book. And it's a relatively short book. And I'm just going to read to you, if I can find it quickly, it should be in the product details. Editorial reviews. There we go. Dr. Judy Mikovitz is, is a modern day Rosalind Franklin, a brilliant researcher shaking up the old boys club of science with her groundbreaking discoveries. And like many women who have trespassed into the world of men, she uncovered decades old secrets that many would prefer to stay buried. From her doctoral thesis, which changed the treatment of HIV AIDS, saving the lives of millions, including basketball great Magic Johnson, to her spectacular discovery of a new family of human retroviruses, and her latest research, which points to a new golden age of health, Dr. Mankovitz has always been on the leading edge of science. With the brilliant wit one might expect if Aaron Brockovich had a doctorate in molecular biology. Dr. Mike Mikovitz has seen the best and the worst of science, 
when she was part of the research community that turned HIV-AIDS from a fatal disease into a manageable one, she saw science at its best. But when her investigation questioned whether the use of animal tissue in medical research were unleashing devastating plagues of chronic diseases such as autism and chronic fatigue syndrome, she saw science at its worst. If her suspicions are correct, we are looking at a complete realignment of scientific practices, including how we study and treat human diseases. Recounted her nearly four decades in science, including her collaboration of more than 35 years with Dr. Frank Rossetti, one of the founders of the field of human retrobiology, retrobiology. This is a behind-the-scenes look at the issues in egos which will determine the future of humanity and boy did they bury the lead in that description <laughs> basically the entire premise of her book is that she had discovered that thanks to um, cutting corners in research and containment and how we cultivate um, antibodies we are introducing animal retroviruses into vaccines with horrible, deadly results. And I've already listened to this book twice. Um, and I'm trying, I, I'm really trying to get like a solid grasp of what it is that she's trying to say, because she tosses around a lot of big, huge scientific terms. I understand about 95% of what she says. Um, there's well, other. I mean, yeah, she's 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 a doctor. The, her co-author looks like he has a doctor too. So these are people that are they're leaving the five cent words at home. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So, so and one of the things that she talks about at length is how we use we used to use animals like mice to cultivate antibodies for our viruses. Uh, she was. A, a chapter that just terrified the hell out of me is um, in Africa, they would have hunters. There's no easy way to say this, Jay. Um, yeah. They would, they would hunt and gather bush meat, meaning monkeys. And then yeah. they would use the organs of these monkeys to cultivate um, antibodies. And the thing is, is that these, these, monkeys had other diseases as well these were not they were not bred in a laboratory so they weren't truly a control there, there's there, there's what control there's no yeah, control what i mean is i mean yeah like the control in a scientific experiment where you know what's going to happen with right them. no they would they would just yeah. they would harvest these monkeys from the jungles of africa carve them up Take the organs, use the organs to uh, to grow the cultures and the antibodies, and then take those antibodies and whatever other diseases these animals may or may not have had, and inject them in the population in Dutch Ghana and other parts of Africa. Right, and because her, you know, Africa is the place where you can do all this shit. Right. And 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 some of those some of the American colonists and missionaries who were there were also injected with these vaccines. So now you have the antibodies for like let's just I'm just going to toss out the word polio 
not it's not polio, but I'm using that as an example. You have an uh, you have a vaccine for polio. You have your vaccine, but you've also been injected with other pathogens that that wild monkey may have been carrying. And she makes the claim in in I think halfway through her book, she thinks this may have been where AIDS came from. Yikes. She and 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 so. So wait a minute. So she's basically saying it's possible. She's not saying right. it is. She's saying it's possible that AIDS came from not people having sex with animals, but because of scientists using animals to test antiviruses. That's that's exactly her theory, her hypothesis. Um, and she also threw out the obligatory. That's kind of gross and racist for you to think that um, AIDS came from people having sex with monkeys that's a little racist that's a, that that's a little racist and gross not to say that bestiality doesn't exist but the idea that you know you want to blame these the, you you want to blame these savages who have sex with monkeys for aids that's a little racist and maybe a, a lot inappropriate um and on the rest of her book she talks about how there is this growing theory that many of the diseases that we are dealing with in the here and now come from contaminated vaccines. And one of the most controversial things that she said in this book, autism may also come from contamination in these vaccines that we give to children. It's not so much the vaccine itself. It's the autoimmune system attacking these carry-ons as they were that's causing autism because the immune system is going after all strange unusual dna that is is infecting the body and we are bypassing the body's natural shield as it were like if you accidentally ingest something that might be contaminated well you have your your digestion system the the, the acids in your in your stomach that would deal with most of that. You're actually like puncturing the skin and going right into the deep tissue and circumventing the body's natural defenses. And it's, it, it's the, how, what's the word, what's the phrase that she used? Um, uh, the, the immunity okay. storm. You create this immunity storm, yeah. the autoimmune system storm, where the, your, the, natural, the body's natural immunity is going after these, these foreign pathogens. And... It's, it goes after everything, including the, the human body itself. It's its own body. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, I don't, because there's 90, there's, I understand 95% of what she's trying to say. It's the 5% that I'm kind of like, I'm going back and I'm re-listening to it. And it's like, did I hear that right? Did I hear that right? And I, I was listening to another chapter again, because there, there are times when it was, I, I should just pause it when she says something controversial. And she had said, um, one of the most horrific things that is going on is that laboratories are now using aborted fetuses as a mechanism to cultivate and harvest antibodies. And there's this big, huge ethical dilemma. If you're anti-abortion, if you're pro-life, do you really want to have these vaccines? Do you really want to, to be injected with aborted fetus material? without other people's consent and 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 she spends an entire chapter asking and and probing the question why is the why is the department of justice and the department of defense 
working so hard to protect the pharmaceutical companies who developed these vaccines and and harvested these vaccines and is now injecting everybody with them. Why is why is the Department of Defense in, in involved in this? I, I, I don't understand. And, and a kind of well, facetious. I mean, my question is, yeah, why why are they involved in it at all? You know, um, this is a lot of <laughs> I hate it when you don't you don't give me advance notice on these things, dude. This is all right. So there's a lot. There's a lot in there to kind of parse through, right? So you alluded to the moral dilemma of using aborted fetuses as fodder, if you will, for cultivating and or experimenting with these vaccines. That yeah. in and of itself is a mind screw. Yeah. That's just that's yeah, that is just just a mind screw. Um there's, so, there's so many mind screws. There's so much to unpack. There is so much. Really? There's so much to unpack from this book, and it's and it and it is controversial. And there's there's one of the most controversial parts of of her book is she's ta- she was talking about how when she made this the, this discovery, and I'm probably like I'm probably getting the the letters mixed up, XRMVB virus that may be responsible for so many other diseases, like the uptick in autism and Alzheimer's and prostate cancer. And that when yeah, you might actually know more about this than I do, but I've, I have heard at least I I read one article and I forget where the hell I read it. I read it years ago where they linked autism to people getting pregnant later in life. So like, People who wait until their mid to late 30s to start having children, there's at least some evidence to believe that that is contributory to the chances, increased chances of a child with autism. Because I guess the human body starts going through menopause in the very early stages in their, in the 30s, like as, as young as 30. Um, that's when you, they start the early, early, early stages of menopause actually start. So... The later in life you wait, the more, the greater your chances of having not only autism, but a bunch of other, uh, I don't know what to call it, birth defects is a politically correct term still or not, but difficulties for the child in life. Yep. Phrase it that way. Um, does she talk about that at all in the book or is that she's like, all right, so this is what she's found kind of thing. One of the things that she had talked a lot in in the book about how she made she made these discoveries and uh-huh. when she tried and she published these discoveries and she said that um yeah it, actually i want to correct myself it's actually the um the virus is designated xmrv um xenotrophic mur- i'm not even going to bother i'm not even going to bother trying to I'll, <laughs> i'm not even <laughs> It's it, it's it, and the thing is is that it's it, it's a it's a virus that um, the reason why it's called xenotropic or tr- xenotropic is because it's it has or had the ability to jump from animals to people um, and and it's a quote um, leukemia related virus that's that's all that's all I can that's about the limit of my Latin for today. Um, okay. when she had, when she started publishing these papers saying that 
so many of the vaccines that are cross-contaminated because the the pro the containment protocols are inadequate. And she's talking about how XMRV might also be airborne. Like by simply putting it in a petri dish without the cover on it, and it may be it may be able to just float up into the air and she and infect not just other people's experiments, but other people who are also in the like the like the lab technicians and the doctors and stuff like that. She started to publish these papers to and saying that the pharmaceutical companies may have inadvertently released XMRV onto the public. And the just as the blood supply during the 80s may have been tainted with HIV, many of the vaccines may also be tainted with XMRV. Like there are so there are countless people who have were infected with um, HIV from a simple blood transfusion to um, right. three famous people, uh, Ryan White, Arthur Ashe, and Isaac Asimov. They all had blood transfusions that were tainted with AIDS or not AIDS, HIV. I have to be careful. After reading this book coming up on three times now, there's a difference between HIV and AIDS. HIV is the virus that hides in the body, lies dormant, and multiplies, and then the you know, the body's immune system working overtime, attacking the AIDS virus and other aspects of the human body. That's what causes AIDS, the the AIDS disease and condition. Am I making any sense at all? Right. It's like COVID nineteen is the disease that hap that you get if you catch the coronavirus. So yeah, I, some yeah, like that. Some, exactly to that. Yeah. exactly like that we are not doctors we are not medical professionals we are just a couple of schmucks we, just remind yeah we're just two, reminding the audience <laughs> we're, we're two geeks with a we're, we're two geeks with emotional problems and a podcast exactly <laughs> and, and um and and of course people are like in a bit of a panic but what, what do we do with this what do we do with this information and she chronicles how she had been arrested, put in prison for five days, no charges leveled against her, no bail, no lawyer, while government officials from different agencies raided her, her, her homes and her two laboratories where she worked and ransacked the house of the woman who tried to help her when... Um, Dr. Judy was being chased by these men and she didn't understand who these men were. Like early in the book, she talks about how she was out for a run and some guy in, a, in an SUV was following her and taking pictures. Sounds a little scary. She didn't know who these people were and it turned out that it was like some of the people that were chasing her down were trying to serve her with papers to bring her to court. And much of the book documents her fight with the US government and the World Health Organization and the pharmaceutical companies. And she makes the case in her book, in telling her story, that the US federal government and so many other branches of the US government and all of their agencies are doing everything that they possibly can to protect the pharmaceutical companies from any liability. Well, of course they are. I mean, I'm going to sound really kind of out there but 
the government, our government is increasingly more protective of corporate interests and private interests and the interests of the citizenship. That's why you and I have talked about this. We're on we're we're on the verge of a corporatocracy, where the corporations have more influence in our government, more say in our government yeah. than we as citizens do. You know, we're 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 shifting away from a representative republic and moving towards a corporatocracy. And the, so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, the pharmaceutical entry uh, industry gives millions of dollars to the federal government, not directly through taxes, but indirectly through the lawmakers that are involved in government. So, yeah, of course, they're going to be protected. They're going to be protected. The military industrial complex, again, same kind of thing. There's they they rely on the federal government for research grants, all that other kind of stuff, talking about the pharmaceuticals. They, they rely on the government for a bunch of things. And in exchange, they give kickbacks to the politicians that are in office. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that are like, where's your evidence of that? It's like, all right, open your damn eyes and take a look. Right. Do you honestly think that's not going on? We all know that that's what goes on. We just don't know to, the, to what extent that goes on. So, yeah, just, yeah, drives me absolutely nuts if you think about it too much you know why and here's the question why aren't you more angry why aren't you more pissed when you find out that the government is just spending so much time effort money and resources well to protect it's not that i don't get angry oh no not you well it's not not that i don't get it no no no, no, i understand i understand but I'm, i'm kind of answering on behalf of everybody it's not that i'm not angry it's just what can i do about it right i think there is a general sense or feeling among most people who find out about these things of that fucking sucks but what can i do well well you have a you have a podcast you know right and i I don't mean to be facetious i don't mean to be facetious (laughs) when i say this jay like if you have a podcast and you have an intelligence that's higher than I'm going, to, I'm going to use Harlan Ellison's favorite analogy. If you have an, an, an intelligence higher than a solo sponge, you should be talking about this. And you should be reading books on topics such as this, getting on your microphone. Don't sit on your microphone, dumbass. Get on your microphone. Yeah, this is going to be rather uncomfortable. Get on your microphone and share with the rest of the world what you've read. This is one of those books, whereas you may not agree with her findings. You may not agree with her hypothesis that many of the diseases that we are faced with today stem from contaminated vaccines. Look into it. Make up your own mind. Read the book for yourself. And I know that there are a lot of people who are trying to debunk her work because they have a vested interest in making sure that the pharmaceutical companies keep chugging along making their profits. Because a lot right, of these pharmaceuticals... They're, yeah. they're getting their kickbacks from it. The they're pharma- getting, you know... The pharmaceutical companies are huge contributors to political campaigns. Whenever the pharmaceutical companies are in trouble, it's all hands on deck from the Congress and the Senate and even our own president. And it's so, so infuriating. It's really incestuous. Because, well, it is. It is. And this this goes back to the corruption that's now endemic within our 
political system. And it really isn't. It's it's endemic to it. It's it's part and parcel to it. Um, most of the public who knows about it kind of shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, it's the price of doing business. You know, it's like when Bill Clinton was caught playing the field show, shall we say, uh-huh. most of the people in Europe were like, eh, who cares? You know what I mean? But in America, we actually did. Right. In the rest of the rest of the world, a little bit of corruption like that. Actually, you know what? Even in most of Europe, I would say a little bit of corruption like that. Most people just kind of go, eh, they're politicians. Kind of got to expect that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think it's just, yeah, it, good, bad, or indifferent. That's just how it is. It's how people kind of think about these things. They, they, don't, they don't look at them as necessarily a a big issue because they're like yeah for the most part the government works for the most part and that's good enough right yeah and that's good enough but for who not not to be not to be a dink about it but for who who is the government really working for and i understand that it was like the government the government sort of keeps the trains from running off the rails most of the time when the train does go off the rail they seem to always want to look for a scapegoat instead of saying it's it's this person's fault that the train went off the rails rather than say it's the procedure or it's the lack of maintenance or it's the um, it's the outdated technology or it's our approach. It's, to- it's anything but us. Right. We're not we're not to, we're not the ones to blame. We're, we're from the government. We're here to help. Right. So that's a problem. It is, but at the same time, I mean, we can justify a bunch of it, right? Well, those pharmaceutical companies employ all of these people, and those people are paying all these other services, and so what's good for them is generally good for the com- country. Yeah, you know what I mean. You, you, there's mental gymnastics involved that I think a lot of people just sort of assume. And generally speaking, if it's okay with, you know, if, if it's empl- keeping people employed, you know, I'd rather have people employed, blah, blah, blah. And they're buying houses. So that keeps like, you know, the construction people employed and the trades are employed. And you know what I mean? Kind of keeps the whole engine running, if you will. Yeah. And to, to some extent, I get that. But like you said, you know, the system's working, but who's it working for? Yeah. Because like, you know, if if you're look at what happened with Edward Snowden, right? Now I go back and forth on how I view Edward Snowden. To be honest, I really do. There's, I think what he did was not. Um, I kind of wish he'd done it differently, but I don't. You know, in thinking about it, I'm not really sure how he could have done it differently. Um, it's I I struggle with that, but right. at the same time, politicians on both sides of the political aisle hate his ass that's good enough they for want me him gone they want right so clearly he's done something right if he's pissed off that many politicians he's done something yeah um it, and he why why don't the protections for whistleblowers extend to him and if they don't extend, how long is it before these whistleblower laws are actually not really anything at all and have no teeth to them because as the government can turn it aside all it takes is one company with enough pull in the federal government to have a whistleblower that they, shall we say, deal with. Right. Right. I mean, why? Ask yourself this: Why are there anti in, um, anti corporate espionage laws? Why are there laws against corporate espionage? 
Because is that really to protect the people? Is it, or is it to there to protect the corporations? And it's I can. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if if you know if Popeye's chicken knows the secret recipe to Kentucky Fried Chicken, how is that going to affect the general public? And why do you care? Exactly. And why why should the and why does the government even care? And I know that that's just an analogy. I'm sure that I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi is not staying up uh, all night drinking pints of ice cream that are the market value $15 out of her $40,000 um, uh, freezers. I, I don't think she's like, how, how can I, how can I better protect Chick-fil-A? How can I better protect Chick-fil-A's and, and Colonel Sanders secret recipe? How, how, how do I, how, how, how do I, how do I do this? How do I, how do I protect Chick-fil-A? <laughs> the chicken is yeah, so I'm good. pretty sure she doesn't. Yeah. But at the same time, the same time she's you know she's quote been quoted as saying that oh i don't i'm not rich my husband's rich right yeah well you know you were middle class when you got elected to office so why are you rich at all yeah and i keep hearing this quote over and over and over again i think it was harry truman that said the only people who get rich working for government are crooks the only people who yeah. get rich working for the government are crooks so and if he said it it's good enough for me so I think that this is, and and I wanted to sort of put a cap on this topic. Um, mm -hmm. I read the book. She has a very convincing argument that her, and now let's qualify this by saying, these are her theories. These are her hypotheses. Did I say that right? She has, she has, hypothesis. she has a hypothesis that many of the medical problems that we're dealing with today come from XMRV viruses that have been tainting many of the immun the um, the immunizations that that we've been all injected with. That's her theory. Now she cannot go and continue her work because the entire medical community has gone. Here is this. Analogy. Oh, here's this analogy again. They have gone off the rails, trying, working very hard to disprove her findings, trying to disprove her theories and her, and her hypothesis. Okay, she does not have spending doing that. What's that? And how much money are they spending doing that? You can only imagine. And but here's and the if thing: they're spending, yeah. they're willing to spend that money to disprove her theories. There's that's just lets you know that there's got to be something to it. There's something more to this, Jay. There, right. and she could be completely wrong. To be to be honest, she could be completely. She could be misunderstanding what's going on. But wouldn't they, rather than trying to, wouldn't they just come out and say, okay, when she says this, what she didn't know is A, B, C, D, X, Y, Z. You know, if she was, if she's just kind of going off the rails, yeah. then it seems to me that they, you know, a couple of, you know, press releases could take care of it and nip it in the butt. Yeah. Trying to say, she's she, saying this and it's not true. She does not have access to any of her data. Everything has been confiscated from her. And she's no, she, I mean, in her career, her medical career is in the toilet. And, yeah. and she's been blackballed because she dared go up against the FDA, the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, and the pharmaceutical companies. And that they have spent so much time 
trying to disprove her findings. And the major question is, well, why? If she if, if she's so if she's so far off base, just give just give her all the rope that she needs to hang herself. And the but the problem is is so many of the the anti-vaxxers have latched on to what she has said and what some of these other scientists have said about pathogens in vaccines that are absolutely positive what's responsible for this uptick in autism and other there's they're say, they're saying that this theory this hypothesis is an absolute proven fact she's come out and she said herself it's just a theory of hers and she and she needs to do more work on this people have yeah. the anti-vaxxers are have taken what she has said and what other people has said as gospel and she's the first woman to tell you there needs to be more research right she's not yeah her <sighs> People just are. Um, but you've you got these anti-vaxxers yeah. who are out there, and now malaria has become a thing. Right. Again, you know. Um, so you wonder about things like COVID, right? COVID is either much worse or much or not as bad as we think. That's the truth of it. Right. The one thing we can tell is that we're not being told the truth. Oh, we know that for right? a fact. I mean, I mean, I I have somebody. The three people now look me straight, straight in the eye and they have no reason to lie to me. They these people have told me we are not being told the truth. It is something we really need to be cautious of. We need to be very concerned about this and we need to nip this in the bud. And there's a reason why people are terrified of covid. It's not it's not just the flu. It's something more than the flu. It's highly contagious. One person had told me that the reason why they're so terrified of, of this COVID virus is because they think it might be genetically modified. And we don't know how dangerous it is because this is something that's never appeared in nature. Somebody else had told me that this is a virus that had been kept contained in the jungles of, uh, of Asia for centuries or millennia. We have no immunity to it because we've never encountered it before. It's a naturally occurring virus that's been cultivated in a lab. Somehow it escaped or maybe it wasn't cultivated in a lab and somebody just like served up a bat that they they found out in the middle. We don't know. It's the not knowing. Well, the thing is too, the, exactly. And the, the thing to remember too is I, I forget what they call them, the people that study vaccines, endo something or other. Right. Anyway, one of them here in the States actually said, yeah, we, this has been on our radar since October, early October of when of last year. Okay. So if it's been on their radar since beginning of October, the Wuhan thing happened at the, what, mid November, didn't it? Earlier than that. And the, and the thing was is, it, was it, the, I, I, cause I remember people were talking about this as early as maybe September, maybe. And that's the thing. Really? The, uh, yeah, I don't remember. All right, but I mean, but the, it, the the fact of the matter is 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 that we're we're fuzzy on the timeline, and that's and that's not our fault. That's by design. It's not. Right. Our, it, that's not our fault. And here's and here's another thing. We are just two podcasters. We right. you know and and here's a, here's a controversial book. I, I've listened to the audible version c coming up on three times now. 
I thought it would be a great topic to talk about. I think people should read the book for themselves and come to their own conclusion. And it's it's controversial and it's going to get clicks. Yeah. Clickbait. Oh, yeah. It's an interesting topic to, ch to chat about on a podcast on a Thursday morning. And and that's and we're and we're and, I'm, and I also reached out to her via her website to see if she'd like to come on the podcast and talk more about her book. Well, that'd be awesome. It would be. It would be. So we're we're gonna keep following the story and and see what happens. Absolutely. Congratulations on surviving another episode of the Thor Chronicles Radio Show. Find out more about the Fedora Chronicles by visiting our website, thefedorachronicles.com. That's where you can find our show notes, past episodes, and articles. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram by simply searching for us on those platforms. Don't forget to join our group on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so that you can keep up with what we will be talking about in the next episode. Facebook, Twitter, and our email address, fedorachronicle at google.com are great ways to drop us a line with your comments and show topic suggestions. And if it's any good, we promise we will read your comment on the air. Support the show by contributing to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Fedora Chronicles. For a mere dollar a month, you get early access to the podcast, updates on what we're doing, and for $5 a month, you get all that and a t-shirt and coffee mug of your choice. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to all of our listeners who are already contributing. You can also support the show and show off your incredible, impeccable taste by buying our merch at zazzle.com slash store slash Fedora Chronicles. The theme songs for the show are Royal Flush and Black Cabaret by Olive Music. All other music on the show is listed on the show page and has been provided to us by Premium Beats from Shutterstock. Copyright The Fedora Chronicles 2020, all rights reserved. On behalf of my co-host Jason and I, this is Eric Renderking Fisk signing off and reminding you to keep your chins up and your fedoras on.